In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and to the ages of ages. Amen. Again, um, I extend my apologies, and um, there was nothing I can do. I got really upset, because it was meant to come about 5 o'clock, and, and by the time we moved out of the airport, it was like 6.30, quarter to 7. Um, I want to begin the discussion of the scandal of poverty by raising what we consider to be scandals in our society. The, there are many scandals that uh, we are confronted with uh, in our Western world. Uh, we are confronted with the, the scandal of um, the pharmaceutical companies who essentially only consider um, the diseases that um, will bring them the best monetary reward and returns. Um, and so diseases that do not hit the Western world, um, such as Ebola, uh, which we will discuss today, um, such as malaria um, and other such diseases, all the kinds of fevers. We have Lassa fever in West Africa, which is a, um, it's, it's not as bad as Ebola, but it is of the Ebola family, uh, a 20% um, fatality rate, as opposed to 85% in the case of Ebola. Um, so we have the, the scandal of the pharmaceutical companies who really are not interested in producing um, drugs or uh, medicine that would heal um, and would take care of or vaccinate uh, people who have um, who are susceptible to tropical diseases in in the in the poorer world. So that's one of the scandals uh, facing um, our, our world today. The we have also certain. Other scandals, we have the, the moral scandals of today, the, the pedophiliac uh, uh, dilemma uh, that the Catholic Church has been facing and um, still faces and to some degree um, is trying to grapple with it and trying to, to fix it if possible um, and hopefully um, they can do something because it is a shame that the issue of a few priests um, in, in, the, in the Catholic tradition is, um, is bringing such a, a terrible name to a church that does so much good, which I see um, in Africa, a, a church that can hail a Mother Teresa at the same time um, having the discomfort of, of, of a pedophiliac uh, priest. Uh, that's another scandal um, facing um, the, um, the part of the Western world at any rate. But the magnitude, the magnitude of this is, is not so, it is terrible, but how many 
I mean, in terms of magnitude, it isn't, it isn't far-reaching, but it is far-reaching in its consequences. Um, the, we, we can talk about other scandals, the, the scandal of the, of the decline of Christianity in, in the Western world, the diminishing power of Christianity, the diminishing voice of Christianity, and the rise of secularism, which is becoming the dominant narrative of Western society, um, to the point that um, being a Christian uh, today um, in, in, in academic circles and intellectual circles um, is almost uh, synonymous with one being almost mentally retarded um, and with the same stigma um, that is afforded to people who um, think in, in, in sort of boxes rather than open-ended way of thinking. And so we have been labeled, uh, when I say we, I mean uh, the Christians, um, have lost the voice, we have lost our, our, our strength, we have lost our, uh, our causes, we are silent by and large. I'm not addressing the Orthodox Church here, I'm addressing Christendom, I'm, I'm addressing the whole of Western Christianity this is not true, of course, in some other parts of Europe. It is not true in Russia. It is not true in, uh, in Eastern Europe. And hopefully it may not be true in Greece, though I think increasingly it is true. Um, but what I'm saying now, this is a scandal th that we Christians that have given the world so many things, um, not only in terms of faith, but also in terms of the, the creation of hospitals, the, the creation of um, the concept of forgiving your enemy, uh, the concept of um, um, going out of your way to help someone. These are all Christian concepts, uniquely Christian concepts. And now we are finding um, the, that the voice of Christianity um, is no longer mainstream. It's no longer a mainstream voice. The, the mainstream voice now is a liberal uh, democratic voice. Um, it is what we call today political correctness. I know there is a reaction against it, and I know that people are somehow reacting, but the media and the mainstream voices still remain uh, liberal and remain um, anti-Christian. So we are living in an anti-Christian society. At the same time, we see the rise of Islam. Now, I can't work it out. How come the feminist movement, how can the feminist movement associate itself with Islam? How can the, the, um, the left-wing um, socially conscious um, movements um, somehow see Islam as being part of its protection? Right? You, it, you know, if you say anything um, negative about Islam, it's called Islamophobia, Right? How come there is this protection of Islam which does not exist for Christianity? And that's another scandal. How come that is so, if you thought about it? It's because Islam in the Western world is seen as a minority. It's seen as a struggling minority. It's seen as the disenfranchised. It's seen as the underdog, right? That, and, and the left-wing way of thinking is that we have to take care, give a voice to those who have no voice, protect those who are a minority um, in terms of 
um, sort of human rights issue. Um, and so even though they may disagree with what they say, right, certainly a feminist cannot agree with what Islam says, but they do protect them because they see them as a minority, a, a, a voice that is not heard, that has to be protected. Whereas with Christianity, it is seen that we are the majority, we are historically, uh, Europe is historically Christian, and, and therefore uh, we are not to be protected because we are the cause of some of the errors of European history, such as uh, the wars and the crusades, etc., etc., etc. So that's another scandal that has arisen. There's another one which I want to now address. It is the scandal of poverty. That is something that is affecting half the world. So whereas one can talk about the, um, the scandal of pharmaceutical companies or the scandal of pedophiliac priests or the scandal of this and that, its, it's magnitude cannot compare to the scandal of poverty. And what I want to raise tonight in particular is the, I want you to understand what it is to be poor in, in the absolute sense. And perhaps the best way of approaching poverty is to understand the sense of loss, the sense that you have lost something, something which is irretrievable. Um, a sense of that you are empty, a sense that something has died and it's not yours anymore. Uh, the, the poor have that feeling. Let me explain it in a different way. Yesterday's gospel was the gospel of the widow. We are told that um, a widow without a husband, a widow, had lost her only son. And that, now, what does that mean? A widow has no son. A widow has no husband. A widow has no son, her only son. In terms of Jewish culture, that would mean she, her main means of income generation is gone. So, on an economic level, she's now destroyed. On a psychological level, she has no male protection. On an emotional level, she has no sympathy, she has no means of filling the gap of the death of her son and her husband. She is left completely empty, thoroughly empty. There's nothing that can fill it up. That feeling of emptiness, that feeling of severe loss on an economic, on a spiritual, on a psychological, on an emotional level, is, is the way of understanding poverty. To be poor is not something, um, it's not to be glorified. It is not to be romanticized. Uh, some novels do. Some novels do romanticize poverty. Poverty is a state of shock. Poverty is a state of loss. Poverty is a state of emptiness. You feel empty. Um, and no 
we're better to explain that emptiness than with orphans, to which I will address in a few moments. To be an orphan, like the widow, is to have lost something which is irreplaceable. You cannot replace your mom and dad. It's not possible to replace it. Not to mention the economic factor as well, that mom and dad are feeding me, right? Now, where are they? Well, Ebola killed them, you know, all right? Now, now, now what? What happens to me now, you see? And as I will show you um, in this DVD, 153 million children are orphans today, 153 million. And another extraordinary statistic about children is that on an average day, 23,000 children die of hunger, all right? So we have poverty causing death to children, and we have death of parents causing um, the, the state of or, or being an orphan. That is the that is the dilemma of the emptiness that these children are facing. Now, the question that I pose is this. How did that widow overcome her emptiness? How did that widow overcome her loneliness? How did that widow in yesterday's gospel overcome her sense of extraordinary loss? Well, we are told that Jesus came. We are told that Jesus was walking by with his disciples and he saw her. And it says in the, in the, in the gospel of Luke, and had compassion on her, not on the boy who had died, but on her. He felt pity for her. He understood her loss. And he knew the only way that woman can become normal again, the only way her joy can return, the only way her sense of loss can be regained into something positive, the only way is for this boy to rise from the dead. That's the only way. To comfort her and to say to her, okay, look, you've lost your husband, you've lost your, uh, your son, be strong and you will be blessed and so forth. That, that could be said. That could be said. Um, or another way would be, okay, look, uh, you have to be real, you have to understand reality, uh, this is what life has dealt you, um, accept and move on, okay? No, no, no. It's so practical, you know. It's obvious this boy has to rise from the dead. If this boy rises from the dead, this woman is happy. This woman is, is, is okay again. This widow is going to be jumping with joy. So what Jesus is doing is hitting the very essence of the problem the very essence of it. Because sometimes we skirt around issues and we try to help without going to the direct cause of the problem. And the direct cause of the problem was the sense of loss. 
of her son, or it could be something else in another case. So we have to feel the sense of loss. Once you feel the sense of loss, just Jesus did in the case of the widow, you're, you're solving the problem. So what we are doing in, uh, in Sierra Leone is going to the source of the problem of the orphans. Going to the source of it. Why are they depressed? Why are they unhappy? Why are they um, acting in strange ways? Because of the sense of loss. They've lost their mother. They've lost their father. Well, we can't bring their mother and father back. We can't do that. We haven't got that power, right? Um, but we can do is to supply new parents, a new mother, a new house, a new family. And if they're young enough, which they will be, that will do it. That will do it. So um, I'm going to ask um, the Father um, to turn off the lights and just to see how we are coping with this sense of loss and our attempt to fill the sense of loss to orphans that have been um, hit by the scourge of Ebola. Okay, um, the sense of loss and the sense of replacement of that loss through what you saw there by, it's not just um, building an orphanage and hoping that uh, it's going to do the trick. It's actually planning it so that the children who, will, who have lost their parents, who have lost their, their mother and father, who are now living uh, in squalor, who are now living um, in, in, in awful situations, um, we are taking care of some of them, we are, uh, in the sense of giving them free education, which is a big, huge deal. It's, it's huge. Um, we're also giving them medicine, free medicine. Uh, we're also giving them, um, feeding them every day hot food. Um, but now where we, we are lacking is to provide them with shelter and a mother figure and hopefully a father figure in the sense of the church will seek to um, replace the loss that they have experienced. And that, that is, that I think is one way in which um, Jesus himself um, shows us the way. It's not just helping, it's replacing. It's not just, you know, throwing money, it's actually going to the cause of it. And, and finding out why, what is the cause of this problem? Why is this woman upset? Why is this man upset? Why is he hungry? Why is she hungry? Um, why don't they have a job? Why? Go to the cause of it and try to provide an answer. And in that way, hopefully, we can um, not just throw bandages to the poor, but to try to eradicate the root cause that is causing this pain or this poverty or this sense of loss that so many people are experiencing um, in where we are in, in West Africa. So um, I think as Christians we have a 
divine obligation to to help the poor. It is it is non-negotiable. It is it is something that it just has to be done. Now we can do it with a good heart, or we can do it by by force, you know, um, or we can do it just okay. I've got to give to charity, and we give to charity, but we don't really feel the joy in our hearts. Um, it is it is, however, it is however one of the imperatives of the Christian life. You will find it. Jesus said it. You will find it in the fathers of the church. In fact. Um, John Chrysostom, one of the great biblical um, scholars of of the Byzantine Church, um, said that, a very radical comment, extremely radical, he says, the poor are there to save the rich. The poor are there to save the rich. Because as you know, Jesus said that the rich will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, that is what he said. The rich will not enter the kingdom of God. Okay, I, that's not a very. I, I got myself. Um, I got myself. Um, how can I put this? For three months, I couldn't preach because I said that somewhere, somewhere in the world, I wasn't allowed to preach for three months because I said the poor will not enter the kingdom of heaven, and I, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> Is that the rich will not enter the kingdom of God. Oh, please don't quote me on that one. <laughs> on the contrary, the, the poor shall inherit the earth. Um, so, um, yeah, so we do have that obligation to, to do something about uh, poverty. Um, it, it's not something that we can easily um, ignore. Again, I come back to one of the unique features of the teachings of Jesus compared to other founding figures of religion, that he has identified himself in full solidarity with the poor. Full solidarity. Now, in theological circles, we call that the crucified Christ. The crucified Christ. The crucified Christ. And, and the crucified Christ is a Christ that says, I was hungry. Not that the poor were hungry. I was hungry. Mm -hmm. I was without food. I was without water. I was thirsty. He identifies himself in full solidarity with the wretched of the world, as a famous sociologist calls the poor. Um, He identifies himself thoroughly with the voiceless of the world identifying himself completely and utterly with the, the, the people that are completely um, without any hope. He takes on the cross for them and for all of us. But there is that special, that special link between Christianity and the poor. To return again to the issue of the rich, since we are the rich, we... Uh, the rich uh, of the world, um, we represent something like, um, if you're earning more than $35,000 a year, you're up in the 6 to 7% of the richest people in the world, right? Remembering that most, uh, more than half of the globe is living under $2 a day, right? So the obligation of, of, of the rich, which we are, 
is to help the poor. Now, it can take many forms. It can take the form of volunteering to go into the mission field and to, and to do, and to use our skills that God has given us, our talents, to do good, to, to fill the sense of loss, to put that gap in, in, in the loss of these people, what they've experienced in life. Um, the loss of a leg in, in, in a war, the loss of a parent in, in the case of, um, of the orphans, the loss of health. Uh, don't forget that one child in four uh, will die before they reach the age of five in Africa. That's that's extraordinary uh, statistic, isn't it? Think about it, you know. Um, those losses, um, the loss that we don't have hospitals there, um, the, the advice I give uh, Holy Father to missionaries who come over, volunteers, is uh, uh, don't get sick. You know, don't get sick. That's, that's the advice. Um, because the, the pharmaceutical and medical infrastructure is extremely poor, extremely poor. Um, so that sense of loss, um, it, Jesus fills it in the case of the, of the, um, the, the widow and and, and in a sense to all of humanity, um, surely we as Christians have an obligation to fill that gap. Wherever we are, it doesn't have to be in Africa, it doesn't have to be in, um, in, um, in uh, the third world so-called. It can be right here in South Melbourne, it can be right here in, in uh, Fitzroy, whatever. All right, Father, um, I may um, turn it over. Mary, do you want to say something? So you can imagine that 27 members of your family have been wiped out as Ebola. And um, this little boy, as Father Femi said, really feels lost. He doesn't have anyone. We've taken him in, of course, and uh, once um, he's living with his grandmother, who is not very well herself. So um, that, that's the only member that... that um, apparently survived. So uh, when the, when the, he, the um, orphanages are actually built, then he will have somewhere to live because he's only five years old. He doesn't know what's happening around him. So it's an extraordinary situation. Um, Ebola has completely wiped out, I don't know how many people in Sierra Leone, but the thing is that these young children are completely lost because someone like a butcher or the, the local baker, they don't know these people, are just taking them on mm. and, and trying to help as much as they possibly can. But their situation is also very difficult And, and the other well. thing to say, Mary, is that it's not just giving to charity, it's knowing how to give. That's something we've learned over the years that I've spent like nine or ten years in Kenya and learning um, how to deal with the poor effectively um, how to deal with the sense of loss and how to try to ameliorate the situation so that eventually um, when you do charity, it's effective, it works. It's not um, just throwing money away because m many new missions, they're just sort of... I remember when I, I first started as a missionary, I would just give money away. I, I, I had a guy coming from Canada, uh, Father, and he was a rich man, Oh, he had money anyway. And, and he would say, Oh, you know, I'm just, he would just wanted to go to the corner of, of this one of 
a city square corner and just hand out money. I said, no, no, it doesn't work that way. That's not how you deal with poverty. With poverty, you have to see what the problem is. You have to understand what the situation is. And then, uh, as in the case of Jesus, giving exactly what that person needs to restore the sense of loss, that's what is needed. And that takes time to understand um, and, and to fulfill. So all our projects now have hopefully uh, that policy in mind, that philosophy in mind, um, given to us by Jesus, which is try to fill the loss as much as possible. Whether it's, I don't have a job. Okay, well, why don't you have a job? Well, I don't have a job because I can't do anything. Okay, that's the cause, that you don't have a job. Now, what, how can we help you to get a skill to get a job? Would you like to learn how to use a computer? You know, would you like to be a teacher? Would you like to, us to help you to go um, to university or to go back to school? You know, we, um, we are helping grown-ups to go to school. I mean, primary school. You know, we, we have one, at least one guy. Um, his name is Moses, and he was a troublemaker. Uh, and now we're sending him to school. He's going to school. And who knows what will happen to him. Uh, the sense of trying to find the exact problem and then fixing it through charity, through philanthropy, um, spreading the gospel in that way. Um, does anybody have any comments to make or questions on what has been said so far? Yes, Father. Um, i I just like to try to come up with type of a, a brainstorm of an idea of trying to get big organisations here in Australia um, aware of our situation over in Sierra Leone and for them to, you know, see what you're actually doing over there and um, in turn being um, a month monthly donation from the, these organisations. So if one organisation does it, they'll know of other um, big companies and they can spread the word. How can we go about doing something well, like that here yeah. in, in Melbourne and, and throughout Australia? The thing is, thank you. Is that Justin? Yes. Good. See, it's, um, when you don't see well, you know what happens? The ear. I have scanned your voice, Justin. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not getting many laughs tonight, Father. Are my jokes failing, are they? Obviously. Okay. Um, we have an organization, Justin, called Paradise for Kids. I try, I'm a monk, I try not to get involved with money. People actually come and give me money, and I give it to Paradise for Kids. I try as much as possible to myself to avoid money, okay? But Paradise for Kids, which is a, a legitimate organization, um, they are the ones who are you know, exploring all kinds of ways in which we can um, raise income for um, us to be helping these people uh, abroad. Um, and so far, so good. So far, so good. I have to say that um, 
Many of the missions in Africa of the Orthodox Church are suffering because of the crisis of the Greek economy. Many of the bishops in Africa are from Greece originally, and their network is from Greece. You see, and when the and so on a normal basis, they would go back to Greece. Uh, Thessaloniki, they would go to Florina, they would go to Athens, whatever, Corinth, whatever, Tripoli, and they would raise money there in their own hometown, in their own environment, and or, or Cyprus, or Cyprus. Um, now this has closed down, and therefore a lot of the episcopacies and the archdioceses in Africa, or the Orthodox ones, the Greek Orthodox ones, are. Ex- finding extremely difficult economic situations. In fact, a letter came from Alexandria, which is our patriarchate, saying that stop expanding, consolidate, until this crisis is over. We have found, by the accident of birth, because I grew up in Australia, that I have, I'm in a different situation. Our mission is in a different situation, purely as an accident of birth, and the fact that I studied in the United States. It's just an accident, or, or God's will, okay, God's will, and that has helped our mission. Um, so, you know, so to that degree, there are attempts being made by an organization which is called Paradise for Kids to look at different ways of um, raising funds. For example, in the United States, we, they're going to appoint now, everybody's a volunteer for Paradise for Kids, but in the US, they're going to appoint a public relations officer who will receive uh, a salary, and his job will be to go into companies, to go into, for example, Barack Obama is going to retire, you know, um, Oprah Winfrey has tried to set up um, schools in South Africa. She's been ripped off. Because the, the thing is, she goes into South Africa, she builds a beautiful school, and then leaves. Okay. What do you think is going to happen when you've got beautiful furniture and you've got beautiful, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be taken away. It's not going to stay, right? Unless you've got people on the ground who are going to take care of it. And what do you think is going to happen to the money that is given by students or for students? Do you think it's going to get to the students? I don't think so. So what we present as an alternative, we in our Orthodox mission, is, is that we have people on the ground who are trustworthy, who will not steal, who will not cheat anybody, who can see clear economic accounting, ac- accountability, um, transparency. Um, anybody, Justin, who has given us one dollar, we can show where it went. We can actually show them through accountability what year, where it went, how it was spent. You see? Um, so that gives us um, added weight um, in the U.S., particularly in the U.S., um, where we can then tap into um, major companies and black African Americans um, who are rich and who have a love for Africa, such as uh, perhaps Barack Obama, when he, when he retires from office, 
why not approach him? Why not tell him what we're doing there and see whether he can at least connect us or other, other um, uh, African-Americans who have uh, ways and networks that they can help. I've tried it already. I've tried it when I was in the U.S. last year, but um, I wasn't that successful. Um, but we are trying to reach out to the African-American community in the U.S. because most African-Americans come from where we are. They don't come from the other side of Africa. They come from West Africa. You see, from Gambia, uh, the, the film Roots, if, if those of you have seen it, I don't know, but if you've seen it, the, the, um, the slaves that are, are, are spoken of there come from Gambia. And we have also in Sierra Leone many that were taken to the U.S. Um, as slaves and in Jamaica. In fact, the language that is spoken in, um, in uh, Sierra Leone is called Creole, Creole. And it is the language of the cotton fields, the, of the slaves of the cotton fields. Um, if, you, if you analyze American English, some of the unique expressions of American English are from the black community. Um, I'll give an example. My friend Don Gone down to New Orleans. My friend Don Gone, Don Gone, Don Gone. Okay, that's pure Creole. Um, and, and, and you can hear it in black American, uh, black African, um, uh, black American music as well, those words. You see, and that's Creole. That's Creole. That's the language of the slaves, um, which they brought to Africa when they were released and they brought it back. The language of Jamaica, I don't know if you know this, Mary. Jamaican English and Sierra Leone Creole is very similar. It's very similar. Wow. That was a bit of a diversion, a linguistic diversion. Any other questions? How many languages are spoken in Sierra Leone? Good question. It's a very good question. Um, one of the challenges we face in Africa is the tribal diversity and the artificial boundaries that have been set up by the Western world. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but the boundaries of Kenya, of Tanzania, of Uganda, and uh, so forth, have been set in London. They were drawn up in London. Um, when Queen Victoria wanted to give a gift to her cousin, the Kaiser, she simply advised the London Admiralty and Geographical Society to redraw the map of Kenya and to include Mount Kilimanjaro as part of Tanzania, which belonged to Germany. So they were playing with, uh, with, um, with maps. They were just playing with um, drawing maps and saying, well, that's Kenya, that's Uganda, you are all Ugandans, um, you are Kenyans, you are all this and this, and, and they were multiplicity of tribes, a multiplicity of tribes, you see. That's why civil wars occur in, 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 in Africa, because the boundaries of Nigeria, for example, a, a nation of 180 million people, consists of something like 50, 60 tribes that don't like each other. Look, an example in a European setting would be, okay, um, that London 
will now determine what Greece is or what Turkey is. And they will say, Turkey is from Mount Ararat to the Adriatic coast. All that is Turkey. Whether you like it or not, sorry, London said so. Okay? Now, we Greeks and, and Turks have to live together under a map that was drawn, not by us, by a foreign nation. Of course, there's going to be conflict, e.g. Cyprus, where you had two tribes, the Turkish tribe and the Greek tribe, living together under tensions, right? Under one nation right, called Cyprus, okay? So it's not strange to say, well, you know, look at Africa, always at war. Well, look at Cyprus, um, you know, uh, look, look at uh, Georgia, look, look at European nations, look at Ukraine now. You've got two tribes. You've got the Russian-speaking Ukrainians. You've got the the Western Ukrainians. You see, it's it's a civil war, right? Because the boundaries were wrong in the first place. The boundaries were wrong, right? So that is what's happening in Africa as well. The boundaries are wrong, so we get tensions. Therefore, we have a multiplicity of languages. Um, in uh, Sierra Leone, we have four or five major tribal languages, major tribal languages, um, but English is the official language, and Creole, or Creole, is the um, spoken language. Uh, same thing with Kenya. English is the official language, and Kiswahili is the people's language. But then you get the tribal languages, Kikuyu, Luo, Lua, Etc. Maasai, etc. So, yeah, yeah. But the major, the major linguistic families would be the Mende, and, and yeah. So Sierra Leone was always a British colony. Is that right? Say it again, sir. Sierra Leone was always a British colony. Uh, a what? British, oh, British co colony. Yeah, yes, a British protectorate. Um, it was. The place that, there's something you may not know, all of you, that, it, it, that the, the Americans fought the war, the civil war over slavery in the 1840s. And the North, under Abraham Lincoln, was, uh, well, Abraham Lincoln comes later on, but the North was supporting um, the liberation of slaves, especially made famous by Abraham Lincoln. Um, the South of the United States were not in favor of that. Um, and so we have a civil war, a civil war that kills a lot of people in the U.S. over the issue of slavery. Should they be slavery or not? The British already had settled it way before. No to slavery. No. So many slaves had gone over to England who have been released or had run away or whatever and made their way over to England, they were, they were not slaves anymore under, under British uh, law and they were brought to Africa and particularly to Sierra Leone to establish their own country. And that's why they call their capital city Freetown because they were free now, you see. Um, Liberia next door are the American slaves that were released um, and to honor President Monroe they called their capital city Monrovia 
and the nation was called Liberia from the Latin libertà, which means uh, lib- liberty. So, um, the, yeah, so that's a bit of um, history behind um, who these people are. So the Creole language was brought over from the United, from, from the United States and England um, by the slaves. And when they met the local Africans, right, um, they began to incorporate some words from the local African languages, but not a lot. So, and, and therefore, um, Creole is essentially a kind of English influenced by African, Af- Africanisms. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Father. I was just asking, um, how would you describe your major obstacles in your mission in Sierra Leone? If I may reinterpret your question as, how would you describe your major obstacles? And I'll, I'll put an S at the end, with your permission. Y- yes, yes, Father. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. Um, one obstacle we face is corruption. One of the obstacles. I can't do anything when I'm dealing with official officialdom um, unless I have, I have to somehow take care of, of themselves, right? I'll give you an example. I'm at the airport. I'm ready to leave for Melbourne, I'm at the airport in Freetown, ready to go to Melbourne. Lungi, at Lungi, as you saw there. Um, I present my bag for inspection. They open up the bag. Okay, you can see they're taking their time. They're delaying you a little bit. And then they can't find anything. And they don't know what to say to you. They close the bag again. And then they come out with it. I'm hungry. At the airport, the customs... Imagine that a telemarine, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, so they don't couch it in terms of corruption or in terms of bribe because you've kind of passed the inspection, but now they want you to know that they are hungry. So you have to give them money. You have to give them money, you see. Um, it becomes infuriating many times. Let's say now... I need land to build a school and I will go to the government and be given land. Now, the person who's supposed to sign the land deal is going to be absent quite a bit. You've got to chase him. And then when you do chase him, he'll tell you, oh, well, you know, the uniting church people's lady auxiliary also wants the same land. And, you know, it's difficult now, but, you know, we'll see. And he's making it difficult for you so that you'll say, listen, mate, um, what's the story? You know, what, what is it? What do you want? <laughs> you know, now I don't do that because as a priest, I can't do that. What happens is our people, our missionaries, our other local people that work for us, they go into the office and they say, what is it you want? And he'll say, well, I need this, this, and then this. And they'll come back and say, this is what he wants. And then I will negotiate. And I won't give it all. I may give some of it, but we'll call it a gift. And in that way, they will sign the contract and we get the land, you see. And it's not that they want a lot. It's not that they're asking for, you know, $20,000. It's not like that. It's just maybe $100, $200, something like that. And it works out. And that's how it is. So that's an, that's an, an obstacle. That's one of the obstacles. 
Um, the, the, um, the other obstacles is, of course, always trying to, to um, find money to continue with the mission. And that, thanks be to God, is in the shoulder of somebody else and not on my shoulders. That's paradise for kids and other people. But just the obstacles of the daily life there, that we don't have the infrastructure that we have here. We don't have the facilities we have here. E- example. Trying to call somebody, you can't call. The lines are dead. There's no, there's no network, you know. Um, you're trying to send an email, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You may have to wait, you know, 15 hours before you can send it, your, your email. You, you, you've worked hard all day, and now you're going into your little room, whatever. You put on the lights, there's no electricity. There's no electricity, Right? Or, or the water has run out, and we've got to get a whole... Uh, we go to the fire brigade, they bring us a whole bowser of truck of water, they have to fill it in, and of course you've got to pay them. You've got to pay them. Um, so we've got the daily, the daily challenges of life. Um, then we have the official challenges, and, and so forth. So they, they mount up. Mary, can you think of another challenge? that Mary, by the way, is my sister. Same father, same mother, Okay. She's, she's there now. Well, not now, but she will be there uh, yeah, next, yeah. this week. You're leaving on I'm Friday. I'm leaving on Friday, yes. Uh, I'm I, leaving next Thursday. Oh, that's nice. Not this one, then one Thank after. you, Father. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, I think one of the challenges that I face is um, um, I, I work in a teacher's college and we're training teachers. And these are teachers who are teaching in schools and uh, they have families um, but they're not trained, and um, they they come to the college. They can't afford the college. Not that we, we we our fees are very low. We just we just ask for something from them, uh, just to say that they are paying a fee. But it's just so low. But they can't even afford that. So my challenge is that um, many a times um, I hear these very heartfelt stories every day how these people are suffering, they need the education, they don't have the money for education, they're not being paid by the school because a school can't afford them as teachers, they need them but they're not getting a salary. So it is that constant pain, you know, the, the, the human pain that you hear and that becomes a challenge because you, you want to take everyone in but sometimes mm, we don't good. have yeah, the facilities yeah. and that's a challenge for me that yeah. I face every day. Yeah. So actually Mary it's a question for you. So would you say that you need like you need more teachers or like can you elaborate a bit on how how do you think this can be combated? Well we obviously need to sorry. Yeah, we obviously ahead. need to expand the college. The college now um, the last, I, I left in July, and my first, the first year intake was already 70 students. So um, our college has three main. Um, the total uh, is more than 70. Oh, no, no, just the first years. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there were 70. I would go and visit every single school to make sure that if there were teachers, if we could help them. I, I visited over 50 schools and. Uh, that's another challenge. Uh, it, it, they're, they're, um, 
The facilities are, are very poor, uh, almost non-existent. Um, at one particular time, I remember I was trying to climb up this hill and I literally have to be helped. I mean, I can walk, um, um, but I couldn't make up, I couldn't go up this hill. And these children are walking up this hill every single day. The mud was just coming down. We were slipping all over the place. It was really extraordinary. So. What we need to do is expand colleges. We need to get colleges happening so that we are able to educate people in order for them to educate the children. It, it, they, don't, they don't have blackboards. They have nothing in these schools. So that's what I was trying to find out. What do they need in order for us to be able to assist and help them in every way we could? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of them were coming was uh, coming from um, Greece. Containers and containers, so school bags, all those yeah, things, we, we exercise those books. Things. Yeah. They come from Greece. We have tons of that. Yeah. Now, yeah. This year, Father, I noticed it was a little bit less, a little less. but but um, because okay. uh, you know we, we we distribute everything. Whatever we get, nothing stays in the containers. Everything goes. So we make sure that that's happening. That's one of the things that I do because. Um, for example, the shoes, um, the bags, all these things, and we've got more shoes coming. Jane has been helping out, and more bags, etc. These are the things that we need to distribute immediately, the minute they come to uh, uh, the By the way, did you see it, the shoes that grow? Did you see it on, on the screen there? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll tell you a funny thing about that. Um, when I told them that we're bringing in shoes, and you don't need to buy any more shoes because those shoes will grow with you. And they thought they were magical shoes. <laughs> you know, like shoes that keep growing. <laughs> That's why they couldn't believe it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how he saw it. He was just stunned by the concept of a growing shoe. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for your presentation. I was just um, saying, I mean, we've heard a lot about the obstacles and the challenges that you see overseas. And I just wanted to get some insight on some of the successes that you think that you've achieved or reached um, as part of your journey while you've been over at Sierra Leone. Oh, the success, yes, okay. Well, there are many successes. Um, and we need to talk about them. I think you're right. I think sometimes we, you know, um, emphasize the negatives. You're absolutely right. Um, I'll give you one success story. Um, about seven years ago, when we first started in Sierra Leone, um, we had a car. We brought it from Kenya, actually. And the, the gentleman that was looking after the compound, um, his name was... Um, uh, what was his name before he became a Christian? Um, no, 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 no. It was um, Ahmed or something like that. Uh, Ahmed. Uh, something like that. Well, Ahmed um, decided one day to take the car. He stole the car, right? I mean, it was like for him an incredible temptation, right? Stole the car, ran away, and then because he couldn't handle the car, he smashed it. It was, it was a Subaru. Uh, he smashed it. The police got him. They brought him to me, and they insisted that I, I should lay charges on him. And uh, so when they asked me, and in Africa... When the police come and there's a discussion, crowds build around, sort of like a crowd 
building a rat. It's like a school fight, you know, in the, in the schoolyard. And, and I just simply said, no, we're not going to punish him. He was crying, lying on the ground, begging for mercy. And we gave it to him. I gave him mercy. I said, we're going to forgive him. Now, they were shocked and scandalized, and they couldn't believe that this thief was going to get away with it. I must remind you what happens to thieves in Africa. In Kenya, they'll put a rubber tire around their neck and burn them alive before the police come. That's called the necklace. Um, in most African nations, because they know that the thief can bribe the police, they will take the law in their own hands. So by the time the police come, the thief is either dead or has been taken care of. Justice has been, has been uh, uh, given, right? And when I said, no, no, we will not hurt him, let him go, we forgive him, they all thought this is weird. And, but I explained to them that's the teachings of Christ and we are a church and we forgive. That man was so repentant after that that now, over the years that passed from 2008 until now, he so repented and went and studied at the college and showed incredible faith and converted from Islam to Christianity. We baptized him. He's now an Orthodox priest. He's an Orthodox priest. Solomon, the, the, uh, the, uh, the disabled gentleman who became a policeman and then was kicked out of the police force. That's another story. <laughs> but there, there, are many, there are many success stories. Um, the, the, the disabled people that we take care of, um, they constantly were aggressive and hostile and angry. Um, they nearly... They nearly sent the, our archbishop, the archbishop of West Africa, of Guinea, they nearly sent him to hospital because they attacked him because he had said something to them they didn't like. So we had to put him in the house and protect him. And in fact, I was held ransom so that he can go free, you know. And I think when he arrived at the mission house, Mary asked him, Where is, uh, where's my brother, where's Father Themi? Well, I had to leave him as a ransom. <laughs> and, and he said to one of my friends, Kiriako, uh, he said, Kiriako, they try to kill me today. <laughs> so um, the point I'm making is with these hostile people, now we've given them so much patience, love, skills, it's, you name it, you know, trying to help them. Um, now they cooperate. That's another success story. And uh, disabled people in Sierra Leone have a very bad name as troublemakers. They, they shout, they demonstrate, they, they go to government offices and, and scream and yell. Why? Because there's no social welfare. Nobody takes care of them. So their only weapon they have is to scream and shout and make nuisance of themselves. And that we have managed to tame these wild, you know, hostile, angry um, people is, is quite amazing. It's, it's quite amazing. So that's another success story. And now I think the greatest success story of our mission 
um, would be one of the great stories is the Ebola orphanages that we're going to take so many kids with, who lost their parents with Ebola. I think that's an incredible, um, uh, thanks be to God, that's an incredible uh, grace we have been given. Um, but also to be seeing every day um, in one of our compounds, we have a church, uh, Father Chris, um, St. Moses, the Ethiopian, and the resurrection of Christ in uh, this hypostasy. And what happens is that every afternoon, Father, there's a Vesper service, and you will find 450 kids, Kyrie, elect, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, singing some of our troparia, you know, every day, every afternoon, and a Sunday on church. So every time I look at that, I think, I can't believe it, what's going on? How did that happen? How did that happen? You know, eight years ago, we had nobody. There was nobody. You know, it was just me and a couple of other guys, you know, from Kenya. That was all. And now I'm looking at 450 kids in the afternoon coming to church and, um, you know, following the, 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 the Vesper service, you know, or liturgy, whatever it may be. You know, that's, that's, that's another success, you know. Yeah. But it belong, that glory belongs to God because, I mean, I'm amazed at what's going on there. And I know I haven't done it. I haven't done it, you know, and it, but it's happening. So I can only praise God for, for his mighty uh, power. Yeah, and the college is another success story. You know, we are training people who had no hope of getting a job. They couldn't afford a university, and now we're giving them an opportunity to become teachers. Um, Father Femi, thank you. Um, can you tell us what we can do to help? Uh, how you can help? How you can help? Yes. You personally or as a collective? Collectively, I think. <laughs> Collectively. One, can you pray, please, for the mission? Pray for us, okay? That's very important. Secondly, ask yourself this question. Are you happy with your life here? Are you satisfied with what's going on? Do you have an urge to a calling to do something um, different to what you are doing now? I'm talking to everybody, collectively. Um, do you feel that you're not fulfilling your, your potential, that you are being limited by an accident of life? Um, do you feel challenged to come to Africa and help? That would be one way, uh, sister, of, of doing it, you know, by coming over. If there is a skill to be offered, there has to be a skill to be offered. Uh, you know, tourists, I mean, tourist missionary activity is, is a waste of time. People coming just as tourists there, that's a waste of time. And a waste of our resources, because, you know, we have to give electricity, we have to pay for the diesel, we have to put on the generator, we have to provide water, we have to provide transport. A lot of money will go to a visitor, a lot of money that could go to, a, a, to the poor, right? But if that visitor has a skill that he, he or she is offering, then it's worthwhile. It's more than worthwhile. Um, so that would be another way. Of course, there's always the financial way. Do we have anybody from Paradise Kids here? Jane, you want to come and explain how they can help financially? Not tonight, but in general. Can, can you? Well, well there's, there's your microphone. Just talk about Paradise for Kids a little bit. Oh. Paradise for Kids, we're a group of volunteers 
And um, if you're interested in the way we do it is fundraise. So it doesn't have to be big fundraising. You can hold an afternoon tea at your house. Invite your friends. That's fundraising. You know, every dollar that you raise is worthwhile because that dollar goes a long way in Sierra Leone. So I would challenge each and every one of you, have an afternoon tea within the next, you know, month, two months. Um, it doesn't have to be when Father Them is here. We um, aim to raise money right through the year because the mission is 12 months of the year. It's not just the month of September when Father Them is here. So um, do go on the website. The contact people are on the website. Give me a call. We're happy. Um, we have got a committee of 8 to 10 people now. If you want to join the committee, come and see me. We meet... Um, every month, you know, leading up to September, but we do meet throughout the year. We can help you if you want to do any fundraising or, you know, we could help with that. So it can be small or it can be big. Mm -hmm. Everyone in here has got the skills to do something. Mm -hmm. So please, you know, help because this mission can't continue unless we, you know, help it to keep going. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Oh. Uh, and Jane, um, just uh, about uh, Paradise for Kids, it's, it's, a, it's an Australian, it's more or less um, different cities of Australia, they have different committees. And if they want to get in touch with you, how, do you, how, do, how will they get in touch with you? On the yeah, website. Well, you can come and see me. Yeah, just give me a call. But how? And, um, Jane, how will they get you? It's on the website. It's on the website, well, yes. What do, what do they look Melbourne. for the website? What do they look for? Paradise for Kids, right? Yeah, you just... I'm sure everyone's visit Paradise for Kids. We're the Australians. So Melbourne, there's obviously committees in Brisbane, Sydney. Now we have one in Adelaide yes. um, on the weekend. They had a function. Um, but the Melbourne, my number's on there. Monique, the treasurer's number's on there. Look, I don't mind anyone giving us a call. Um, giving me a call and I will follow up, I'll meet with you, whatever. Mm. The other way you can help, we do have, and it's on the website again, is the Easy Donate. So they're the monthly donation. Say, you, you know, it can be as little as 10 or $20, $30, whatever you're able to afford to um, commit to. And that is, I find, that is a very, very worthwhile thing because it's sustainable money. It's, it's, it's Father Themi being able to budget. So every month he knows he's going to get, you know, a thousand dollars is going to come. And with that he can budget, you know, all the, the, and there are a lot of costs. I mean, I, my husband and I had the opportunity to go, so we know firsthand, you know, the costs that are involved. There's a lot of costs. It's, um, and that's a great way. The form is on the website. You just fill it out and you will get a text message every month before your money is deducted and you will also get an e email receipt. And it can be de tax deductible or non-tax deductible. Now, does everybody know the difference between the two? The tax deductible? Do you all know about the, you know, the Australian government rules these days? Okay, so if you give money that's and you want a tax-deductible receipt, that money goes to nominated charity organisation. Now, Paradise for Kids is with HADA. HADA is the Australian nominated charity. 
So when you give, say, $20 and you want a tax-deductible receipt, that money will sit with Hadar until such time as we want to build an orphanage. And then what happens then is that Father Themi, with the people that have to submit plans, have to provide a budget, you know, and then Hadar looks at it and then approves or doesn't approve the plans, okay? Now, that takes time, and that's worthwhile, very worthwhile. But then we need the other money, non-tax deductible. The money goes to um, an account where Father Themi runs the mission with that money. So he's got access to it, and he can pay for the water. He can get, you know, meals. He can feed the poor. That's the money that feeds the poor, um, not the tax-deductible money because that's used for buildings only. It's used for projects and it takes time for things to get approved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to also thank Jane Pallett for her extraordinary enthusiasm and work for the mission. And in a way, we talked about the scandal of poverty and what can we do about it. Well, people like Jane are actually instrumental in, in the war against poverty, even though she has been to Sierra Leone with her husband, Dr. Pallet, but she doesn't have to go and still be fighting the war against poverty. She can still do that. You can still do it from here. You don't need to come there, you know. Faristo, Jane. Yes. Joanna has also been to... Joanna? Joanna here, is she? Yeah, yes, Father. Yeah, I don't see very well. I'm yeah, sorry. Well, Joanna has come to um, Sierra Leone, and Joanna has actually um, lived a very strict, um, almost poverty life, like um, um, living with the poor um, in a Waterloo compound without electricity, without water, and she managed, I must say to her credit, to achieve that for how long? Uh, 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 it was eight and a half months. You stayed there for, at Waterloo for eight months? Uh, no, the whole trip was eight and a half months. Right, but how long were you staying in particular? six. Six I months, of which, explain your situation there, but about the water, about electricity, the food. Yeah, um, well, in terms of food, I ate locally um, because I, I wanted to support the local um, businesses because some of the locals would um, basically cook their um, staple food, which is rice, and whatever sauce um, that they like. And so. And it, it came from the pots that you saw. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, those yeah. pots. Um, it was lovely food, actually. Um, but just to give you an idea of what a dollar can do, I mean, just as a question to you, what can you buy for 40 cents in Australia? Nothing much. <laughs> but for 40 cents, a local can eat a meal in Sierra Leone. Oh, definitely. definitely. Um, and, a good meal. Yeah, and a good meal. And so... You might think, oh, you know, I've just got $5, or what can that do? Well, if, if you consider this is a $5 um, bill is like, uh, for some people, is a week's wage. Yeah. Okay, and they'd need to pay the rent, they need to sustain the family. So, yeah, um, your dollar can go a very long way, and Father Themi has done an excellent job, and by God's grace... Um, to go that far. Now, in terms of water and electricity, um, there was no running water, so the pump that you saw in the video... That's new. That's new. 
Um, just, just would put it on this here. Okay. Oh, the pump? No, that's been gone for some yeah, time. Yeah, the but pump. the borehole is new. Yeah, I didn't yeah, see yeah. that. So when I was there, uh, I needed to pump my water sometimes at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Before, <laughs> the, <laughs> before the gate was open and the disabled will file in and um, start wow. getting the water. Um, yeah. And so you need to pump that and carry that back. And, you know, you want to have a shower. You have a cold water shower out of a, a little pot. Um, yeah, so that was that was exciting. You want to wash your clothes? You do that um, in a bark in a bucket, basically. Um, yeah, in terms of light, I used a, a, a large torch that's rechargeable. During dry season, that's all great because um, the sun's out. There's no rain. During the wet season, that's harder because. Um, it might, the sun might come out, but it requires quite a few hours of consistent sunlight. So sometimes I needed to use the mobile. Sometimes it would just yeah. go off because there was no electricity. And what's interesting is that a few days before I left, um, we finally switched the generator on in Waterloo. No, also, we have solar lights now in, oh, in Waterloo. Okay, okay yeah. wonderful. That wasn't there when I was there. Yeah. So um, when the generator was switched off... On and I switched the light. I went, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I have light. I know, wow. I know. And seriously, after living without light and you can't switch it on, you have to use your torch or you know your mobile. Just go, go to the bathroom. And I was lucky enough to have a toilet. Um, and a lot of locals don't have that. Um, I was lucky enough to have a bathroom that I could have a shower in privacy. The disabled don't shower in privacy, yeah. they shower outside in front of everyone and they would need to do it in the dark, obviously. You want to have a warm shower, you need to warm up your water. You want to heat up a, um, a kettle of water and whatever water you've managed to get um, during the day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And yeah, good. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, Joanna. Thank you for the your speech tonight, Father. It's been excellent to get an insight to um, the mission work that's been done over in West Africa. Um, you spoke earlier around the scandal from the, the pharmaceutical companies. Um, you know, here in the Western world, there's vaccinations for every known, unknown disease to, known to man, um, but yet there's none for the Ebola virus over in, in Africa. And, and, and also malaria. The last time there was a major research done um, by advanced uh, pharmaceutical companies was something like 30, 40 years ago. I don't know whether they've started catching up again, but that's another scandal because so many people die of malaria in Africa. It's a, it's a killer. It's, it's worse than, mala- uh, than Ebola. More people die of malaria than they die of Ebola. And um, my, my questions were, so why do you think that is? And um, what has been their response when you, you have quizzed the, the companies on this? Well, the, uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I, the, the so, so why do you think that, the, that the, these companies don't... Oh, you know, well, uh, as I said before, uh, um, malaria doesn't hit uh, England. Uh, malaria will not hit the United States or Canada. Uh, malaria will not hit Northern Europe, right? Um, malaria will not hit even Greece or, or Italy and so forth. Where does malaria hit? It hits in the tropical regions. In the tropical regions uh, such as 
Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America. Now, when you look at the income, um, the geopolitical economic situation of those nations, they're infinitesimal compared to the economies of the so-called rich countries. So it's, it's obvious that the board of directors of, you know, the German pharmaceutical companies and the British pharmaceutical companies, Bayer and all that, they're not going to worry about a product that can heal malaria when they can get far more money researching cancer or researching, you know, strokes or Western diseases, you know, Western causes of, of death and, 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 and ill health, um, high blood pressure and so forth. Um, so th- that's the, the simple fact. That's the simple fact. Yeah. That's how it goes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, Holy Father, um, pleasure to be here again in South Melbourne um, at this parish. Um, I always feel that uh, it's like a home for me here. And um, I'll see you next year. Uh, I'm leaving next week, and Mary's leaving this week. So thank you for all your support, your prayers, your help, and keep us in your prayers, okay? Christ be with you. God bless you. Well, we'll do the Our Father together, and then we'll finish it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and always and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Have mercy upon us and save us. Good evening. God bless you and thank you for coming. Christ be with you.